In a world of bus schedules and business calls, sidestep into a realm of Koigyu casting in Klingons. Okay, people, get your geek on. It's May 26th, 2012, and you're listening to episode 41 of Knit One Geek 2. I'm Karen. And I'm Maggie. And today we're coming to you from Dewar's Hollow in Dartmoor. What is this strange fog I see around here, Maggie? I don't know, but it's making me feel strange. What's that over there? It's big, with big, glowing blue Blue eyes. eyes. A wild cumberbatch appears. Bye. Run, 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 run. Come back with me. Okay, so yes, in case you haven't guessed, we have watched the second episode in the second season of the BBC Sherlock. But more discussion on that later. Yes. Adventures in Knitting! Okay, I got scolded today. Yes. Because one of the listeners emailed in to say, Hi, I really like the podcast, love what you're doing, and hey, I checked online to see how your blueberry vodka cardigan was going. So sad. No pictures. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that. That. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, will... I need to update my, my Ravelry. I will update, yes. I promise. But Karen can see and verify. Because this is a top-down, started with that seed stitch collar. And then I did those increases for the raglan sleeves. Yep. I am now past the sleeves going down, and I've just done my first decrease for the waist shaping. So a couple more rows, then another decrease, and I will be approximately... At mid waist. Ooh. So I've, I think I've come quite a nice ways. Yes, it's got, you've got quite a bit of progress there. It is now no longer something that, that is to be taken in the bag, you know, around town anywhere. It is now a home project. Well, you could maybe take it to knit night. Yeah, taking it to knit night or something like that, where, you know, where you're going to be going somewhere and then sitting for like three hours and just knitting. Yeah. But seeing as I need a throw in the bag and take it with me kind of knitting. I finally cast on a pair of socks. Ooh. And this is with the William yarn. Yeah. From we, from New Zealand. From Niche. Right. K-N-I-T-S-C-H, I believe. Looks so, like the heel fits perfectly. This design is Catnip by Wendy Johnson, and it is available on Ravelry as a free download. And it makes tiers of very pretty diamonds and i swear to you it looks like i'm wearing blueberry grape jelly on my feet yeah it does i think it is such a beautiful rich purple it is but in the vein of catnip and crazy crap i came to the top of my stairs two days ago looked down and froze and there was the orange tabby sitting amidst a pool of the william yarn Mm -hmm. that was wound from one hallway into my studio around my studio chair and underneath my drafting table oh dear all with it still like i found the sock itself under the drafting table oh dear and at one point the yarn was wound so tightly around my studio chair i couldn't unravel it i had to break it the cat is still alive the cat is still alive yes i i think i had chocolate and wine and it took me two hours to unravel the knots and rewind into a ball 
Oh, God. And the only reason I know it was two hours is because I was sitting there while my son was watching his children's programming and I was counting how many shows were going by. Yeah. But yes, so I guess it's appropriate that this is named Catnip. I guess somehow serves me right for leaving it on the physical plane of existence where he could reach it. True, yeah. True. And the other one, the ruffle cardigan, I've only done a couple rows on it. This so. is the one that's one by one ribbing for this like This is one by ever. one ribbing, ribbing and it's going to be for 60 inches. Ha ha ha, yes, very funny condom joke. Ribbed for your pleasure. 60 inches? No thank you. Yeah, I don't think there's much pleasure in doing ribbing for 60 inches. No, but <laughs> this, I believe, effectively just barely makes one sleeve. Yeah, because you knit it from sleeve to sleeve, yeah, right? to yeah. start with. Or from cuff to cuff, I <laughs> yeah. should say. Cuff to cuff across the shoulder blades, and then you pick up stitches to do the collar and then the back. And the back. I suppose I'll elaborate on that when I actually get to that point. Mm -hmm. I'll finish this thing just in time for it to turn cold in the fall. I know it. Yeah, well, that works. So there we go. That's my adventures in knitting. Okay. Well, Karen did noticed. some traveling. <laughs> there was no podcast last week because I was on the road. What are you talking about? I podcasted last week with somebody who looked just like you. Well, then it was a clone, my dear. Okay. It was a life model decoy, courtesy uh. of Stark Industries. <laughs> and for my on-the-road knitting, I brought... I'm, I'm trying to remember how much I said about this. I meant to listen to the podcast, but I didn't have time when I got home today. Just at the beginning to see, like, what did I actually say about this last week? That's all right. We're crazy. We can reiterate. Basically, um, I had thought about doing a color affection shawl out of stash yarn. And this is the shawl that is, like, a big deal right about now. Yeah, it's it uses three... number one yeah. in Ravelry for shawls. Yeah, it uses three different colors of fingering weight yarn. Basically, you start out with one yarn doing garter stitch back and forth in a sort of arch. And then you add another color and you do one row of each. And you do, but you build it onto the side of it. So it sort of, it doesn't quite make like a, it doesn't make like a full half circle. And then you add a third color and you do one row of each color in pattern until the end. But I could find two, lots of combinations of two colors that looked really good, but I couldn't find a combination of three colors from my stash that really seemed to work well. So I decided instead I would do a two-color stripey shawl. And instead of doing that sort of like curvy shape, I would do a triangle and I'd kind of make it up on my own. This is seat of your pants knitting. Very much because right now what I did is I cast on, I, I basically chose two yarns. I used the purple yarn that I dyed that I'm calling the purple shirt of sex yarn. Yes. After Sherlock's lovely purple shirt. And then I'm also using a sort of dark, sort of denim-y blue semi-solid, which thank God I have the other skein here, so I know what it's called. It's uh, Aslan Trends Natural Luxury Yarns Santa Fe. It's their kettle hand-dyed yarn. And I got this in Savannah, so I was kind of happy to find a use for that. But so I picked those two colors and I kind of thought, well, one of them is the purple shirt of sex yarn. The other is sort of this grayish, navyish blue, which is kind of like Sherlock's coat. So I have named this the deduction shawl. I love it. And basically I started at the bottom of the shawl. So I cast on over 300 stitches. Karen has a quasi. Just over 300. And then I did some plain garter stitch, a few rows of plain garter stitch in the blue at the bottom. And then I decided to do a panel of the purple. Now, I got to this point when I was at the airport or heading to the airport in Buffalo, where I had about an hour and a half to wait for my first flight to Baltimore. And then I had about two hours in Baltimore before my flight to Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. So you had time on your hands. Yes. And I spent all of that time knitting up one possibility and ripping it out. 
Ew. Knitting up another possibility for a few rows? Ripping it out. Ew. Seriously, I basically, it wasn't until just before, like maybe 20 minutes before my flight actually boarded in Baltimore that I figured out what I wanted to do. Because <laughs> I kind of wanted a simple texture pattern with like a stockinette background and I wanted something that would make little sort of occasional bumps okay. on the fabric. Like a stippled texture. Yeah, nothing big, but it had to be noticeable. And so what I decided to do, finally, was to take... I'd knit a few stitches and then take the next two stitches and wrap the yarn around the base of those stitches. Right. And effectively slip those two stitches and then knit a few stitches. Now, the first time I did this, I also screwed up the count. I was doing five and two and five and two and five and two. And then I wanted it to sort of stagger. So I wanted, you know, the next row, each of the little bumps to be sort of in the middle of where the last right. one was. And I realized, wait a minute, if I use five, five and two, nothing's going to get, some... it won't get centered right. properly. It would have to be one or three that I wrap it around. So I had to rip it out again. again. And I think that's the point where I was like, screw it. I'm not touching this for a few days. And I didn't touch it again until I was heading home from from Lexington. But I got the little, there's like a two, maybe two and a half inch little panel of this little stitch pattern in the purple. I got a fair bit of that, like maybe half of that done on my way home, mostly on the airport shuttle from the airport to my house because I had almost no layover time or waiting time at the airports on my way home. It was like the complete opposite of going down. Um, you also said the traffic at the border was really bad. Yeah. I forgot that um, the day I was coming home was a holiday, and so there was lots of traffic heading into Canada. Thankfully, our little airport shuttle bus, there was only seven of us on it, and we got pushed over into the car lane instead of, you know, getting put in behind the ten tour buses Ew. that were waiting to go through the actual office where you have to get off the bus and go inside. So it wasn't as long as it could have been. But but since then, I finished that little purple panel, and now I'm on to the, the garter stitch stripes. And basically, I'm doing two rows blue, two rows purple, two rows blue, two rows purple. And by two rows, I mean one putting bumps on the right side, one putting bumps on the wrong side, so that from the right side, all you see is one little row of bumps. Yeah. And that's that are a in neat, each color. That's a neat feeling, too. A neat texture. Yeah. I'm really liking it so oh, far. I love that feel. And I'm basically Stringy. doing a basic triangle, which, I mean, if you from the bottom up, which is really easy to figure out, because, I mean, if you think of the way a triangle shawl is shaped from going top down you put one yarn over at the beginning of the row yarn overs and two yarn overs in the middle on either side of a center stitch or two and then one at the end of the row right so if you're doing it from the bottom up you put the decreases in the exact same place and then each row i do there's fewer stitches and you do those those decreases on every other row so it should get faster and faster as you knit yeah it should get smaller and smaller in a paradoxical kind of way yeah which is which i mean the the part about ripping out the stitch pattern i mean obviously i sort of should have swatched separately beforehand but this is me we're talking about um, why do that when you can do it the hard way? And so I'm thinking like, even if I had done it top down and hadn't figured out what I was going to do with that part until I got to that part, there still would have been a hell of a lot of stitches on the needles. Yeah. It would have been 20 less stitches or something like that. So really I didn't lose anything by not figuring that out until I, the stitches were already cast on and then doing it from 
the bottom up. But I like it, and it's really pretty, and I cannot wait to see how it turns out. I love that garter stitch border at the end. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first time I've actually seen, like, personally seen one like that. Because yeah. all of the other shawls I've seen have that, like, a lace, heavy had lace a, edge. Yeah, I had originally thought of doing a lace edging on it. But after a while, I was like, no, nah, maybe I'll just do, like, a. I was thinking of doing lace edging, and then I wanted to do this little panel of stuff. And I was like, no, maybe I'll just cut that out. And then I got the idea that it was... You know, because of the colors, it's sort of Sherlocky, and then I was like, no, I should leave the lace off and do something very simple and logical. Yes. And more Sherlockian. And then my other travel project, my other main travel project, I should say, is the Arch Shaped Socks by Jen Showalter. And I have actually, I am on the arch shaping of one of them. I have fin gone past the heel. You do this from the top down. I'm past the heel. I finished the gusset. The gusset and the, the, the decreases for the arch shaping have met, where the arches, you know, reach up to wrap around, to wrap the around. Your foot. Right. These are the socks that look like a corset on your feet. Yeah. But not in the bone crushing kind of way. Yeah. And so I am sort of a little ways on the foot on one. And then on the other, I have just turned the heel and I'm ready to set up for the arch shaping because I just have to go through and then count out like, okay, where's my three middle stitches? Then count a certain number on each side. And I mean, the, the original pattern has like, you're supposed to have a certain number of stitches when you start. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'll just, you know, just find the three middle stitches and then count like seven stitches on each side. And that's where I'll put the decreases starting right. and they will just match up. They will meet up when the gusset, when they meet up with the gusset but they're very pretty and these are in the diabolical yarn nice that i got the last time i went to kentucky and it's her strong arm sock skinny so it's a two-ply in that base that i love so much that high twist base that makes tiny stitches of almost doom they're i find it nice and squishy and plump and then of course while i was in kentucky i went to the kentucky sheep and fiber festival yes you did and i bought stuff i should hope so it was really nice they have they had lots of vendors there it was maybe like for anyone who has been to the knitters fair in kitchener waterloo in ontario it's maybe like one of those rooms they have two usually have two rooms that are full of vendors and like one of those rooms like maybe the bigger one that sort of size filled with vendors and stuff but of course this time the vendors are all completely different yes they are they would be elsewhere so i got priest and maggie has not seen them yet no nope, i have not and i found like god now i have four more stores where it's just like please just take my take my paycheck and give me yarn in return because all your stuff is so damn gorgeous i wanted Ooh. it all and had to narrow it down. I can't wait to see this. So first, a brown paper bag. Oh, fluffy, fluffy, fluffy! Yes, it's in a brown paper bag so that it doesn't get fluff everywhere. This is from Wooden Spinner. I believe the address is woodenspinner.com. And it's called Bats, B-A-T-T-S, from the Belfry. This one... Oh, so soft. So soft, I know. Oh my gosh. This one is Merino, Blue Face Lester, Polworth, and Silk. 2.1 ounces and it's in the blue jay colorway so it's in white and light blue and Ew. a darker gray blue she had some really gorgeous stuff there with like angelina and firestar and stuff in it so it was all sparkly but i have never spun from a bat before so i was like maybe i will pick something a little simpler and it's oh it's like a cloud it is it's really pretty i was showing my friends i went with a bunch of the friends that i was staying that i was staying with and who you know thankfully brought me to this sort of thing, even though none of them are really knitters. One so, of them knits a little bit and wanted to do some more and got one skein of yarn. But They're understanding muggles. Yes. I basically handed it to them and like, feel this. They were like, oh my god, that is soft and squishy. I'm like, yes! Isn't it awesome? Now you this understand is why, I do, why we do this. But I also got some in yarn form. 
So I'm okay. Form. Yay. This one is from, from Miss Babs Hand Dyed Yarns and Fiber. And it's www.missbabs.com. M-I-S-S-B-A-B-S.com. And this is her yummy hand-painted sock and baby yarn two-ply superwash, 100% merino wool in Blue Ridge colorway. Very nice. This is very close to that base that you like. Yeah, it is that base that I like. It's okay. like that, that high twist, two-ply yumminess that I love. And it's like very dark blues and bluey greens and navy and almost black. Oh, this is very nice. That is going to make some seriously lovely socks. It will. It will. And then I got from Lunabud Knits. Uh, that's www.lunabudknits.com. And this is Blue Face Lester Sock. And it's a fairly high twist, but it's very fine for a sock yarn. It is. So I'm planning to do like a lacy shawl out of it. Yeah. Especially because I have big feet. The colorway is amphitrite. Yeah, and again, it's blues and greens and teals and... It looks like a very shadowy kind of jade. Yes. Like, this makes me think of dark places in a rainforest. And, I mean, everything I got was, like, some color of blue, but, I mean, there was... It's what you're happy with. Yeah, there were some that... There's some... I've looked at these places online, and there was a couple, like, say, in the Miss Babs that were in, like, purples or reds or something like that that I was really tempted by... But they still, these ones still really grabbed me. Mm -hmm. And then finally, this is from Knitting Notions. And it's www.knittingnotionsonline.com. And this is Laceweight in the Ironstone colorway. Oh. And it's sort of a, like a, a gray, a dark gray over like a bluey green. Yeah, this is like, think of the spruce tree, but very, very muted. Yeah. And I actually got three skeins of this. I just brought one. But it's a really pretty lace weight, and I really want to do something pretty and lacy with it. Do you have ideas? I have a, a whole bunch of ideas. <laughs> I kind of went looking through just, it was like 15 minutes left at work today, and it's I couldn't really start anything in case anybody came in. So... I just went on Ravelry and just quickly punched in, like, the pat advanced pattern browser, put in all the, the stats for it and stuff just to see what came up for anything between, like, say, 900 and 1100 yards of yarn. And there was quite a few pretty, pretty patterns that came up. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to make a decision. Which is going to be difficult because I really want to do lacy things. I want to do something in lace weight soon. Yeah, that's your forte. That's, well, it's one of your fortes. Lace weight, lacy knitting, and socks. Mm -hmm. Those are my two main things. Yeah. But yeah, I really want to do something soon and use up some of the lace weight I have. Either this stuff or some of the stuff I already have at home. And there was another store that I didn't get anything from, but one of my friends did actually. And like, it was mainly because like I had already bought some of the stuff and I was like, I gotta draw the line somewhere. There's another store called Fiber Optic. And I think it's at www.fiberoptic, F-I-B-E-R optic.com or maybe fiber optic yarns because I didn't write it down. I am SMRT. Google <laughs> fiber optic yarns and you'll get it. And they had some oh, this is gorgeous lace weight and gorgeous sock yarns and I wanted so bad. They had like a huge like array, like rainbow of colors of stuff. It would have been perfect if you wanted to do some sort of color work because they had a bunch of different colors. I would have been been just standing in front of it sort of drooling and just my you eyes You would have been overwhelmed yeah. and been like I don't know what to do. My head has come off and it is and my sense of reality has run away and is hiding underneath the booth somewhere. I don't know yes. what to do. But yes. That happens to me when I'm confronted with a lot of color. Yes. I think at that booth it was at that booth too that like my friends sort of walked around with me on my first pass of all the booths and stuff and they saw some of the patterns that were up there like oh hey 
that one says it's the even star shawl from fellowship of the ring <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah she's got like a whole bunch of patterns she's doing for all the lord of the ring stuff blah 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 and i'm like oh this one looks pretty and they mentioned the name and i'm like oh yeah 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 steven that's by steven west he's really popular right now and basically yeah. being all like i know all these things muggles but yes it was kind of fun seeing especially because some of the patterns they had like the even star shawl were like sort of geeky stuff so they were like oh there's geeky stuff there's geeky knitting. I'm like, yeah. Dude, there is so geeky knitting. There is tons of stuff inspired by nerdy stuff, especially like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. And as we come to find out, Avengers. But we'll get to yes. that later. And speaking of Avengers, we went to see Avengers, my friends and I. Again. Again. Which was so much fun. So I have now seen it three times. And of course, I had to bring the movie socks and basically blow their brains. By the fact that I can knit in the dark. And so my movie socks, my first movie sock, is pretty much done. Hot damn. I did a few more rows of plain stockinette stitch. I actually did about four rows of twisted knit pearl ribbing at the movie, like in the dark. And then I just need to do a few more rows of that and I'm done. But I'll I'll do that sometime soon, like not at a movie. Because personally for me, it is totally allowable to just, you know, do the heel or that sort of thing, not at a movie. Yeah. So... Hopefully by next week those will, that first sock will be done. Following in the Aven- wake of the Avengers, and by the way, happy Memorial Day, uh, happy Memorial Weekend to everybody down in the U.S. Yep, to all our U.S. listeners. We've got cocktails designed for each of the Avengers. So let's start with Captain America, being that it is an American weekend. One part creme de cacao in a shot glass, one part grenadine, and one part blue curacao. Serve with a tiny flag and or sparkles. Yeah, sparklers. Oh, sparklers, I love right. the descriptions on some of these. There's a whole bunch of them, and I love, like, the the, six the little added sort of commentary I was going to say it. the six sense of humor, but... Yeah, that too. <laughs> the God of Mischief. Two parts mead, and for anybody who doesn't know, that is a wine that is made with honey instead of grapes. Mm-hmm. One part gold strike. Two parts lime juice, one part apple sours, one part blue curacao, crushed ice, and one part, what is that, blavod? B-L-A-V-O-D. Never heard of it. And then, of course, you put two little lemon peels on the side of the glass. (laughs) Lemon curls. For added authenticity, spike your friend's drink with Tabasco. Then, when they start sputtering, yell, Lokied! at them and run away. That's been a new thing that's been going viral everywhere. <laughs> Lokeed! You played a prank on somebody. <laughs> Lokeed! Of course, my favorite. Whoops. Just looking at some of the descriptions. Of course, for the God of Thunder, the the description is guaranteed to get you hammered. The Hulk the description is get smashed. Black Widow. Could also be referred to as a hot Russian. Kahlua, vodka, and two shots of espresso. Of course, my favorite. The Agent Coulson. Looks ordinary, but we'll have you on the floor in about ten seconds. Which just seems so perfect. It does. And of course, for the Fury, one of the elements is you have a licorice lace eye patch that you put on, on, the, side side. Of, on the side of the glass. That's hilarious. Somebody needs to try these and tell us how they taste. If you can remember after drinking this yeah. much. Alright, only drink one and then write down yeah. your notes. I was going to say, make one drink for everybody and then everybody take a little sip. <laughs> yes. Do not try to take on the entire Avengers in one night or one sitting. Loki tried to take on the Avengers and it didn't work out well for him either. I may like Iron Man. I like grenadine and and Yeah. One part scotch, two parts orange juice, one part grenadine, one part drambouille, and an orange slice. I might like that. Mead, ice, berry liqueur, and lingonberry vodka. I might like that too. Yeah, for the God of Thunder. Come here, Thor. So there's a whole bunch of these. You can probably find them by Googling, but we'll post a link too. And then, of course... 
in the in more slightly Avengery news, there's all the upcoming Avenger sequels or the individual Avengers. So we have Iron Man three getting ready to come out, and Ashley well, Hamilton getting ready to film. Well, whatever. <laughs> the the point not is, to raise your hopes too much. Well, the point is that it's not ready for me. Yeah, it's like wh- wherever it is right now, it's not ready for me. It's just not there. Yes. So I'm like self centered like that. <laughs> so Iron Man three. Ashley Hamilton has been cast to play Firepower, and we all know that there's been rumors that Kingsley has been rumored yeah. to play Mandarin. Ben Kingsley, yeah. And every time that it comes up, he tries to squash the rumor. But yeah. we all know that some of the rumors are true, but they have they are bound by legal means that they cannot talk about. Yeah, yada yada. Yeah, so it's hard to tell if he's if right. he's if they're actually denying it or if it's I can't talk about this. And the other nice thing is that John Favreau, who directed the last two movies and who also plays Happy, Happy Hogan, Hogan, is going to be back. Yeah, I like that character. Yeah. And for Thor two, Mads Mikkelsen, he is one of the bad guys from the James Bond filmed Casino Royale. Yeah, he was the main bad guy. He has been brought on board to play a villain in Thor. It has not been disclosed yet what he's going to be, whether or not he's going to be on Loki's side, yeah. or if he's going to cause trouble for both the brothers, which I think would be yeah. awesome. Because they did say that Loki's definitely going to be in the next Thor movie, and is going to be yeah. something of an antagonist. Right. So. Oh, come on. God of mischief, strife, and fire. Yeah. Loki's breaking out of those little shackles and that little, you know, detox mask that he's wearing at the end of the last movie. <laughs> he is so coming back because you get rid of Loki, half the franchise is gone. I am so serious when I said you could start a burger chain called Asgardian Burgers and just sell the burgers with little horns coming out of the burger boxes. <laughs> they would so sell, okay? <laughs> you could put Loki and stamp Loki on anything in marketing right now. It would so sell. Now, one of our listeners emailed us with an update on something we have talked about before. Thank you, Philip. Quite a while ago, we mentioned a Kickstarter campaign that was from a bunch of high school students that were making their own Viper simulator from, like, the Vipers from Battlestar Galactica. They wanted to make it to show it off at Maker Fair. Maker Fair was this past week or the weekend before. And they did it! Yes, they did. I think they were on CNN, actually. Oh, really? I can't remember where I saw the link, but I remember going through various links and newscasts and... Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, wait a minute! I know that project! Yeah, I've seen it on a bunch of different things. They have pictures and video and stuff on their website. It's theviper.org. T-H-E-V-I-P-E-R dot O-R-G. So you can see all the photos and stuff there. They've got videos on their YouTube channel, which they should have a link to from their website. They were interviewed on the Make Magazine blog. And so I saw lots of the pictures. I saw some of the video of them doing it, and it looks really awesome. They It, you know, fully, like, tilts and twists and turns and everything. It's amazing to watch. And, of course, all the kids are dressed up in, like, the orange jumpsuits that, like, the engineers wear or the the sort of dual layer tank top sort of things. Very cool. Racerback tank tops that the the pilots wear. It's all about the environment. It's so cool. Sadly, unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to customize the software so it looked like Battlestar Galactica. It's basically like a flight simulator software that they used, but it looks really cool. They even showed pictures of it like, you know, you press buttons and it says, you know, ammunition armed and stuff like that and it it, <laughs> it, it, it says things. And I think there was one I think there was even one part where they press it 
and it says something like something it gives you a warning that something has malfunctioned and you press it again and it you know has fixed itself and nice. now it's ready and it's like oh it's so cool it looked really fun nice i would love to try it <laughs> and this was made by kids yeah this was made by high school kids awesome speaking of awesome the olympic torch was carried by one of the doctors today yep matt smith got to carry i think they even said he was the first yes of the day of the day yes, yes. He was the team leader because he was the first to carry it on this day. Yeah, he carried it in Cardiff. Yes. In Wales. Which is where they film Doctor Who. It was so cool! So awesome. And apparently, like, they show, I saw pictures from, apparently the Doctor has carried the Olympic torch in one of the episodes before, but that was the 10th Doctor. But yeah, it's kind of awesome that Doctor Who, man! Was he wearing a bow tie? No. Dang it. No, he was wearing the little, like, yeah, exercise suit that, that all they, the, yeah, all everybody the torch wears. carriers wear. I think that would have been cool if he just could have added a bow tie. That was kind of funny. Stephen Moffat apparently posted something or said something like, he's like, I can't believe they're giving this man a torch. I have seen him drop coffee, like, within walking five seconds of walking into a room. <laughs> I can't believe they're giving this guy a lit torch. Oh, Stephen, you But yes, troll. he managed to do it without dropping it or falling over or anything like that, thankfully. Or any of the funny Doctor Who walks that were associated with his character. <laughs> yep, no Dalek attacks. Yay. Oh my god. Seriously? Damn it, guys, they should have done it. They should have had a little, like, remote-controlled Dalek <gasps> behind him, oh! chasing after him, saying, exterminate, oh, exterminate, as he's running away with the torch. That's cool. <laughs> should have staged something with the Daleks trying to get the Olympic torch. That would have been awesome. Of course, they only actually carry it for like five minutes worth of running, so. Speaking of the Olympics, guys, we will be talking about the RAV Olympics yep. in upcoming episodes. Don't worry. Yep. I am going to set up the team soon because those have to be set up for the RAV Olympics by like mid-June. Okay. So I'll be setting it up soon. Just wanted to get past the whole like vacation and everything first. And we still got time. The Olympics themselves, I will get the team set up, but the Olympics themselves are not actually until like late July. Yeah. So you've still got like a good month and a half, if not two months, to actually pick your project. Opening ceremony is the 27th of July. Yeah, so two months tomorrow. And then one of the other things that has come out in the last couple weeks, which we have sort of been wondering about, is a while ago we mentioned that CBS is doing their own modern day Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. this time in New York, called Elementary, and that it's going to star Johnny, Johnny Lee Miller as Sherlock and Lucy Liu as Joan Watson. And they're, they've actually released a preview trailer for it. We did watch it. Yeah, we watched it earlier tonight. Yeah. And thoughts? You want me to say it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to, to say beforehand, we are not trying to be douchebag fans. You know, we're not trying to be all like, oh my god, American Sherlock Holmes? Or, oh my god, the BBC already did it so well. So I'm not trying to, to judge it. We only have a small segment to yeah. judge from, to yeah. be honest. And let's face it, we have fallen deep into the pool of Cumberbatch crazy. Yes. So I'm trying to separate it from right. that and trying to, you know, consider it on its own merits. My thoughts after seeing the first glimpse of elementary was that it's like wearing a pair of jeans that are just a smidge too tight. Somebody is going to come along and tell me this is right. This is exactly how it's supposed to be. But it's just rather uncomfortable. <laughs> I am not comfortable at this point dealing with the fact that Holmes is not associated with his beloved London. Mm -hmm. That's something that's really hard for me to separate. Mm -hmm. I am willing to give it a try. Yeah. I am willing to watch several episodes of the show to see if it can blossom 
Yeah. I, I still don't quite see Sherlock in yeah. here. I see... And I mean, we only get to see snippets. Yes, we only get to see snippets. We do get to see somebody who is obsessive, mm-hmm. who is superior... Yeah. And who has those quirks and traits of noticing the details and such. But somehow the gestalt of it all does not equate Sherlock to me just yet. Yeah. I mean, we do, like I said, we do only have the small clips. And so it just, maybe like seeing a full episode will make him look like Sherlock. Right. will be Sherlock in my head. Yes. The way that, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is Sherlock in my head when I'm watching the movies. I don't really have a problem... With it being in New York, from what I was looking at, it does sort of, in some ways, there are small architectural similarities, depending on where they are in New York, okay. that sort of make me, you know, it looks almost like it could be London. And yes, crowded city and yeah, cabs. and Very urban, that sort of right. thing. And really, in, in New York, the, the yellow cabs have something of the same mystique as black like cabs. The cabbie. The cabbies in, in London. My main thing looking at it is what they're doing with Watson. Mm-hmm. I don't care that it's that Watson is female. I think that's kind of awesome. I would like to see them explore that in certain ways. The thing is, I might be. I think I might be more interested in seeing how they explore it if they had kept certain elements of Watson's background, like the fact that this Watson is not an ex-army doctor, which kind of, it, it kind of pisses me off. Like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, I don't want them to be, they don't have to be, like, give Pure her the exact cat. same, yeah. the exact same background as the original character. But the feminist in me is like, there are a lot of women serving in the military. I would really like to see a female character on television who is ex-military and see how she co- how a female character copes with the after effects of that what their experience was in the military and how they react to it also just the whole like can she please just be kick ass i mean come on and i mean you do have the element of the original stories where watson is kind of the is something uh he's the one who brings the gun yeah you know and he's also been you know trained in certain fighting stuff and i mean obviously in the original stories sherlock has been trained in martial arts and stuff like that yes but watson tends to be a slight some in some cases watson tends to be more of the the brawn of it. And I think it'd be really cool if it was a female character who was taking some of that role. The other thing is like, not only have they removed that, it's like, she's not even really a doctor now because one of the things about her character, the the reason she and Holmes meet is because she has been hired by his father to be a sober companion to Holmes because Holmes has just gotten out of rehab. Yeah, he he is he chose to escape rehab the day he was being released. released. Completely nonsensical. <laughs> so it is, well... Home sometimes doesn't always make sense yeah. in those ways. Yeah, home sense is on a, on a dimension above what most of us yeah. would consider sensical, but somehow there is method to the madness. Yeah. But then part of her backstory is that she was a surgeon, but she no longer had, she lost her license because a patient died. And it's like, did you have to depower her? Like, I'm, I think and my brain is considering this like superhero, like female superheroes, where they always end up losing their powers, or something like that. It's yeah. like, I don't know. It's, and, uh, I mean, on the one hand, yes, it's an inter- it's a, a more complicated backstory for the character, but at the same time, it's like, it's a female character. Could you not have, you know, taken now, left could, that? Now, or... consider this, just, just to be devil's advocate here. Yeah. Consider this, that she is in a, at a point of, in character references, we, she is weak. Mm-hmm. Whereby when she partners with Holmes, she finds something in her that creates strength. And so that she can go from this weak character to a kick-ass character that will eventually turn around and, you know, 
launch into sidekicks and volleys and all sorts of other stuff. I think that's going to depend on how they write it. Okay. I would like to see that happen. I would like to see that happen because of her own inner stuff and not just because she's, you know, gets help from a man or, you know, fits this role for a man. I, I mean, I'd like to see that happen, but then it's also sort of like, okay, this is American TV, network TV. I'm not sure... How they're going to write it yeah, out. Yeah, how they're going to write it. And then I was considering that, okay, even, like, forget that there's the BBC Sherlock. Even pretending that doesn't exist or forgetting about it because it's not on American network television. You know, I was thinking about, like, Sherlock Holmes, the original stories, in some ways defined a genre. Right. They became sort of one of the basic tropes for this literary genre, which then became a film genre and then a television genre. There have been lots of other TV shows, other movies and stuff, which have used a Holmes and Watson type partnership for fighting crime, even when they were not named Holmes and Watson. You've got, or where you've got one person which is, you know, really smart and really, you know, brainy and stuff. Socially awkward. But also socially awkward, yes. And the other person, like I'm thinking, like CSI, the original CSI, Grissom, he was very smart, very good, a very fascinated, obsessive with very Sherlockian in a way about his job, but very bad at the social interaction stuff. So, and then there's there's other shows which are even closer to it, like, you know, we've got House, which right. is basically House and Wilson. We're given those names because they're cl close to Holmes and Watson. Right. And there's so much about that is th that is the same. And, you know, I think someone said that The Mentalist is very similar. So even just looking at the show at Elementary on its own merits, it is updating a partnership which has become a trope for the police procedural drama. Right. So I'm thinking it's going to have to be as good or better than all the other versions of this. So it set itself a very difficult yeah, bar. bar. I'm not saying it can't do it. I'm just saying this is the bar that it's going to have to clear. Yeah. Especially on, especially on a network like CBS where they have tons of crime dramas on. Yeah. Like that has been their bread and butter for the last few years because they're the ones that created CSI and the CSI spinoffs. So I'm trying to think like what is going to separate this one from the pack because you can't just rely on the names of the characters to do that. Right. What do you guys think? Have you seen the trailer yet? You can probably find it if you Google it. They're out there. Send us your thoughts. And who knows? We may all become fans. Yeah. Who knows? It's like, I would, I mean, I would like it to be good because I am always up for yet another good TV show. But like I said, I just have to wonder. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I just, I just don't know how it's going to play out. And I would like to see some better female characters. I like the female characterization to be better than it appears to be at the moment. From first glance. Well, let's go from the homes that we don't know to the homes that we do know. Yes, because we watched, rewatched <laughs> Hounds of Baskerville this week, the second episode in the second series of BBC's Sherlock. Very much the cloak and dagger, spooky woods and fog yes. and everything kind of yeah, and we'll suspense. Do, as usual, I mean, it came, it came out like week before last, actually. We're doing this a little behind because we were on vacation last week. But we'll do the non-spoilery little quick review, and then we'll get into the spoilery stuff. Okay. So non-spoilery. Well, Sherlock's still an ass, but, you know, we know that. <laughs> I really like this episode. Yeah, this episode <laughs> is good. I do like that it is that it shakes up homes. I do like that Watson grows in his own investigative theories and mm -hmm. practices. Yeah, we see new sort of aspects to their partnership. Yes. I like, I, I really thought they succeeded with the whole creepiness of it. 
Yes, like playing up the creepiness. I was listening to, I think it was the Baker Street Babes podcast. I think I was listening, re-listening to their sort of Hounds of Baskerville review. And one of them mentioned like certain, this is one of the most filmed Holmes stories. Yeah. Probably because it has all those different aspects to it. But sometimes some versions seem to lean more on certain aspects of the story. And I think this one really played up the sort of creepy horror story aspects of it. Because there are times that are seriously yeah. damn creepy. It's well filmed and the score is well played. Oh, God, yes. Score music. and ans- absence of score. Yes. And it's, it is it is psychologically suspenseful. Yeah. Very psychologically suspenseful. That I can remember. There's no blood. There's no gore. No. Nothing like that. It is all psychological. Yeah. And it's really neat. Like, I remember the first time we watched it, sitting there watching it and just being like, oh my god, creepy, creepy. No, don't go back, don't go back, don't go back. Don't go in there, don't go in there. And, I mean, I don't think we even need to say it at this point, but oh my god, the acting was wonderful. Martin Freeman, I love you. (laughs) The BAFTA Awards are tomorrow night, and I am so torn because Martin Freeman and Andrew Scott, who plays Moriarty, are nominated in the same category, but I think I'm leaning towards Martin Freeman because, dear God. Shall we get into spoilery? Yeah, let's go to spoilery. Okay, so, yes, yet again, we are about to talk about spoilers. Look in the file that comes with the podcast, or on the website, or on Ravelry. I will give you the time code when it is safe to come back, if you do not want any spoilers. Otherwise, spoiler territory begins now. Okay, so one of the things I, re- I liked that I believe was something difficult for Holmes to approach was the line, I meant what I said. I don't have friends. I've, I've just got, got one. one. Oh, I love that line so much. That was really hard for Holmes. Yes. That took a piece of pride out of him. Yeah. And I really love how Watson handled that situation where he was like, mm-hmm, yeah, have fun with that. I like that he he's like so not putting up with Holmes' shit. Yeah. They they switched roles but, for a while. Yeah. But especially after, you know, after Holmes's, I don't have friends. And Watson just, and Watson just says, no. I wonder why. why that is. And he just walks off. Walks away. And it's like, oh, I just love it because it's, like I said, he's not putting up with Holmes's shit. And he is making Holmes, like, realize that he hurt somebody and that he has to apologize for it. With feeling. Yeah. You just can't say sorry and it'll all be better. Yeah. You have to really understand what you did. Oh, that line. That line. Oh my god, love. And especially I love it because it is so much more, you do see in this episode, I think even more than last episode, you do see it is much more of a partnership. Yeah. In this one too. Because you see very early on, like when Holmes and Watson are talking to Henry and he's telling them, trying to tell them the story, Holmes is being his usual blunt, get to the point self. Watson is, you know, trying to be more diplomatic, I Diplomatic suppose. and like draw him out more. And then, but the really, the really cool stuff is when they're at the pub and John is just talking to the guys behind the counter about this, the hound and yeah. stuff like that. And it's very, he's, he's very, his people skills are so much an essential part of the investigation right there because he's able to just sort of get this information from them. Talking to the therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And he's able to get this information from people through the use of just seeming like a very casual conversation. He's very good at that sort of interrogation without people realize what he's asking. And there's also that moment where he know- he spots that receipt. Yeah. For the Undershaw Meat Company. And that's... <laughs> 
Yeah, that's very good on his part. And he just, yoink, snaps it right off while the guys aren't looking. Bye. And which, by the way, Undershaw is the name of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's house, which at the moment a group is trying to preserve or trying to get... Restore? Yeah, they're trying to get, like, legal protection to preserve and restore this house. If you Google save Undershaw, you will find all kinds of information about it. And yeah, so that, that was a neat little touch. And then the other, like, awesome part where... Watson is his just essential to the investigation in the way that he deals with people when they break into Baskerville. Oh my god. And he pulls, pulls rank. rank. Oh my god, it was awesome. It's all of a sudden you get to see you see Captain John Watson right there. You get to see his his military background in the way that he salutes the guy and treats the corporal because he's pulling rank on him. And like when the alarms start going off, he's like, oh, computer glitch. That's going in the report. He's so good at it. Yeah, he is. And Sherlock notices that too. He enjoys <laughs> it. Yeah, he says, I haven't he's pulled a- rank in a long well, time. Huh? Did you enjoy it? Hell yes. And it's so good because he's, it's such an essential part of them bluffing their way in. Even right after Watson's been all like, what the hell do you think you're doing, Sherlock? And just side note, I do love when it, the camera pans over and we see Mycroft sitting by the fire. Oh, God. He picks up his phone, <laughs> looks at it, and rolls his eyes. And just like, yeah, he just gives us little cascades of laughter sigh. just ha- happen. <laughs> when he finds out what his brother has done. So awesome. Yeah. So you have, like, so much of a, these two are so much of a more of essential partnership in this one. Which makes it, like we were saying, that much more affecting when, you know, Holmes is having his little breakdown. Yeah. Because it's really, and it's really interesting that, like, the thing that gets him in this one is the whole not being able to trust his own senses. Senses. Because, of course, with the hallucinogenic stuff that he's inhaled, seen, yeah. his brain says, I cannot have seen a ghostly or, you know... A hound. Mutant hound that actually glows in the dark and has glowing red eyes. But if I can't believe what I saw... What can I believe? What can I believe? Because all he has done previous to that point is notice details that tell him stories and he's able to deduce from them. Mm-hmm. And now that has been taken away from him. And the way Benedict Cumberbatch does that is so good. And he's like kind of manic and still doing that deduction of the other people in the bar. And Sherlock is actually drinking. Yeah, actually drinking alcohol and shaking. Look at me. Look at me. I'm scared. I'm actually afraid. Yeah, and he does make a comment in there too about, you know, I won't be able to keep my distance. You know, I won't be able to consider this problem at the same distance, which is kind of interesting because it speaks to, you know, how he does his work or how he sees he needs to be to do his work in being emotionally detached. Which is, um, really comes to light right at the end where he decides, oh, murder scene and murder weapon all wrapped up in one. Oh, thank you. This is, this, this case is, it's brilliant. And brilliant. And John's just like, Sherlock, timing. And it's really cool because we got to see, of course, the whole episode pretty much is set in Dartmoor, and which is the original setting of the story. But yes. it's so cool to see Sherlock outside of his usual habitat. Yeah. It's like, we actually I, see him driving. You had a cool trivia piece for that. Oh, yeah. It was something I heard on a few different places. Actually... We see Holmes driving, and actually the reason he's driving is because Martin Freeman doesn't have a driver's license. I think that's funny. It's kind of funny. Though, I don't know, it just seemed, it didn't seem 
The Hobbit doesn't have a license. (laughs) It didn't seem like Holmes wouldn't know how to drive. It's just we are so used to see him jumping into cabs. Yeah. It's weird. And I've always imagined that if either of the two of them were going to drive, it would be Watson so that Holmes could just think. Yeah. Part of that is because in the original, some of the original stories, Holmes would come back from his investigative Mm -hmm. adventure somewhere, collecting information, and then he would go into a yoga position and just sit. Yeah. Until he had figured out the problem in his head. Yeah. So to me, he would be much more of a person sitting in the passenger seat doing this, the fingertips touching, Mm -hmm. and just staring off into space. But, you know, we have a mind palace instead, so that's okay. (laughs) Yes, Holmes's mind palace. Which is actually a real thing, and I've seen a few different things online where it's, it's a technique you can learn. You don't, from what I've read, people don't do, like, the hand movements and everything that, that Holmes was doing. The interpretive dance that Holmes was doing. I love that they but also... I'm sure they have to visualize it They somehow. have everything in there, including hound dog for hound. Oh, yes. that was great! That was Searching so funny. all those connections. Oh, yeah. And, of course, you know, going back to, oh, my God, Martin Freeman is awesome. All the BAFTAs for Martin Freeman. Yeah. Oh, the scene in the lab. Oh, Oh, oh my, my god. god. Oh, so good. Where Speaking he has to how be good afraid. Acting with the fear. When he has to be like, afraid. When he's been drugged and thinks he hears the hound and just, oh, it's so, it's heartbreaking as well as just so brilliant. Like, the can... way he like clamps his hand over his mouth so that it won't hear him breathing and the way he is so obviously like terrified and the way his, his voice breaks. And the way that he's like doing this heavy shallow breathing into the phone and you can hear it in his voice like we've all done that when we've been terrified at one point oh i i couldn't do so good and i love and as you mentioned the score one of the things i love about that scene is when he's he's hiding and he thinks this thing is in there with him you hear the little piano theme that they use for like discussing Watson's military experience and the the trauma from that right like at the very beginning of the series like first episode of the series when he wakes up from that nightmare about Afghanistan, you hear it in the back and he start you just see him start like crying. That's the, the, the sound the music you hear in the background. And they overlay that over the that sort of pulsing, creepy, suspenseful music. And it sort of brings it back to Watson's psychosis and Yeah. It's like, damn, that must have been bad for his post traumatic post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, thanks for that, Sherlock. That kind of all of that fear was all and of trauma. That- all of that was a an experiment set up by Sherlock. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for that, Sherlock. Yes, I love that he has that connection, that Sherlock has that connection, that line of, you know, I don't have friends, I've only got one. And then when he's talking to Henry at the very end, and Henry is like almost completely lost it and is almost ready to kill himself, Sherlock talks to him very calmly and very sympathetically. But then he also, you know, tries to drug his friend to test <laughs> And see Test whether theory and, and locks him in the lab and plays the no- the snarling dog noises to to test his theory. And then right after he's been sympathetic and everything to Henry, he also, like you were saying, has that line: "Oh, this case has been brilliant. Thank you." <laughs> Which John has to admonish him for. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I loved is when, of course, we get we still get a little bit of Lestrade in this one. Just a little bit, a very tanned <laughs> Lestrade too. Yes, and it's rather amusing too. Because why, again, seeing... that's why you're here under the false name of Greg. That's his name. Of course, Greg. That's his name. Of course, when we were watching Avengers, as soon as we saw heard that line, Phil, his first name is Agent. Yep. That was what I could think of. Is that same line calling yourself Greg? That 
That's his name. That's his name. <laughs> is it? Yes, it is. If you ever bothered to find out. Yeah. But that's also just another, it's one of those other little, just tiny little brilliant pointing out of like how different John is from Sherlock and his interactions with people is that he actually knows Lestrade's name. Yep. And Sherlock has known Lestrade much longer. Oh, the creepiest parts of this one? Oh my god. The, the stuff when like, when they're going out to Dewar's Hollow the first time. Mm-hmm. And, like, you just hear, like, noises off in the distance. And the first time they actually go, you don't, you, you hear the dog, you see their reactions to the dog, you don't actually see, see it. See the dog. Which is always creepier. And then you've got, you know, Watson, like, going off seeing other things and finding other things. And you hear, like, the wind in the trees and the thumping of water on one of those empty yeah. canisters yes. and stuff that's all really creepy. But the bit that creeped the crap out of me was Henry at his house when he's in front of those windows and, and those lights motion lights flash on keep going off like they and it's oh it's so creepy because it's so dead silent i think there's no score for that no bit. i was thinking Either. about it there was i don't think there's a score there yeah that would terrify the flaming fireballs out yeah, of all me. of a sudden they just turn on and there's nothing and you can't there. see anything there and then they turn on and then they turn on again and there's nothing there and it's like that is that's the kind of thing that like creeps the crap out of me. Like in like in real life, there are certain times when like if I've been wearing, watching something too scary, I don't like looking at the windows as I go upstairs at night because the scariest thing to me is like when someone like goes to look out a window and all of a sudden there's something there. Yeah, that creeps the shit out of me. So this whole thing, this this idea of like the lights coming on and nothing being there, ah, that scares the crap out of me. That that was a that was a severely well done suspenseful psychotic moment yeah like i felt oh that's creepy i felt empathy yeah there real empathy yeah because you could feel you could feel it building too because you could you knew the lights were going to come on again and you were just waiting for it and then all of a sudden they would and you just didn't see anything it was so creepy oh my god so well done and of course i know there's certain bits that people have said stretch credibility or don't seem to fit together or whatever but i don't care it's one of those things where it's like i don't care it's a tv show and it's cool just it was it was emotionally enjoy it it was really emotionally manipulative in the way I liked, and there was some interesting character stuff that I really liked. And Hound of the Baskervilles has always been one of my favorite Holmes stories, so I just, I really liked the way they did it. And of course, there's all the little references to the original story, like, you know, when when Henry says, Mr. Holmes, they were the footprints of a gigantic hound, that's La- the line from yeah. the original the original story. And actually, when, at one point, with when Holmes is being all psychotic because he's not, he's quit smoking. Right. And he's desperate for a cigarette. Actually, at one point, you see him, like, lift up a slipper and shake it. And of course, and in the original stories, Holmes stored tobacco in the toe of a slipper on the fireplace and stuff. Yet again, there's all those little details that I just love. I actually just got the DVDs and I can't wait to listen to the commentary for this episode. That should be cool. They have all the actors doing the commentary? I forget who does the commentary for that episode. I know for Scandal in Belgravia, it's Stephen Moffat, Mark Gaddis, Sue Virtue, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Lara Palmer. I forget if Martin is on the second one, because I think in the first commentary they make a reference to martin being in new zealand filming the hobbit ah. he might not have been around when they were doing the commentaries oh and just and then of course at the end we just get that little glimpse of moriarty oh my god setting up for the final episode if you want to continue that whole su- psychological suspense yes thing you're like oh shit moriarty is psychological suspense bottled in hot and running on tap yeah, so, so good. 
And of course, we know what the episode, the next episode happens in the next episode. As probably a lot of people who watch the show know because it aired last weekend. But we'll discuss we'll talk that, about that next, next week. time. Okay, so it's safe to come back now. No more spoilers beyond this point. And moving into Cravings, Covets, and Crushes. Yummy goodness to give to all the good little boys and girls. Well, if you, if you would like to have some tea with your Sherlock watching, there's a website called Adagio Teas, and it's www.adagio.com. Basically, it's a site where you can get all kinds of different loosely for bagged teas and, you know, tea preparing paraphernalia. But what it also allows users to do is to create their own tea blends and offer them for other people to buy. And there's one user named Kara McGee, C-A-R-A-M-C-G-E-E, who has created a whole bunch of fandom blends. She's very good at it. Including, I think the first one she did were Sherlock yes, teas. Yes. So there's a Watson tea and a Mycroft and a Holmes and, and a, a Moriarty. M-O-I-A-R-T-E-A. Because that's what people brew. Her descriptions of the teas are yes. very creative. Oh, they're, they're hilarious. Yeah. And she's also created, for the Sherlock one, she's also created all kinds of, like, pairings as well. Yes. So I think there's the... I think the government and the inspector for the Mycroft Lestrade, Lestrade fans. And, you know, one for Sherlock Watson, one for, you know, Lestrade and Molly. She's got one for the woman. She's also got one, the Reichenbach Recovery Blend. Yes, yes. <laughs> which you might need for next week. But it gives a little description of it, and it also gives a list of, like, what the individual teas are. I really want to try the Watson Blend, because it's got Irish breakfast and a couple other things in it that I really like. But she's also branched out. She now has... As Avengers Tees. That is awesome. And Hunger Games Tees. She has quite a bit. Yeah, she's got a lot on there. Well, because they've proved very popular, so she she's kept doing them. There's all kinds of really great stuff. There's one of the ones I really want to try is the Steve Rogers blend. I think it's got one in it that's supposed to be like an apple. Yes, that it is. And it's supposed to sort of be slightly like apple pie. pie. American is apple pie. And the Loki one has one of the teas in, in it is spearmint. Yes. So you get that sort of cold taste. Oh, and I think it, especially for Loki, that one was, flavors really were emphasized when it was served iced. Yes. They said, she said it was very good iced. And of course, one of the ones that I really want to try is the Colson one. Which she said, actually, from the stuff that's in it, it's supposed to be sort of like very, fairly strong and sort of like coffee, but without the bitterness, which might be interesting. That sounds almost a coffee-ish taste to it. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And I was thinking of actually, each of the, the signature blends, as they call them, you can only get them in three ounce pouches and they're $10 each. But, you know, one thing you could do is you get together with a few friends and buy a few and then divvy them up between everybody. So everybody chips in a bit and then you divide them up. So, I mean, that's one possibility if you don't want to, like, if you have like six different blends you want to try, but you don't, you know, want to spend 60 bucks all on your own on tea. So yeah, you could, instead you could go together with six friends, everybody pitches in 10 bucks, and then they each get, you know, half an ounce of each different kind of tea. We might need to find a few people who want to do... I'm totally game for that. So we can try a few of them. So if you want to find her stuff, the link for her stuff is obviously complicated, and it's user ID string of numbers. So... Just go to Adagio Teas, that, again, that's www.adagio. Click on the Blends button on the top sort of right corner, and then you can search the blends by creator. And like I said, put in Kara McGee, C-A-R-A-M-C-G-E-E. And she has a cute little, her own drawn illustration. She does, she draws illustrations for all the labels. 
And she has a little drawn illustration for her person. Though if you put it in, it should only bring up one answer. And then a few weeks ago when we were talking about Avengers, we asked why was there no Avengers yarn? And now there is. The call has been answered. Yep. We've actually got two places to find Avengers yarn. One is a Etsy shop called Gnome Acres. G-N-O-M-E-A-C-R-E-S. And she's got a whole bunch of Avengers-y stuff on there. There's ones for Loki and Thor and Captain America. And of course, Captain America is red, white, and blue. <laughs> Loki is green and gold and black. She's also got a lot of other ones on there for other comic book characters. There's Eric Lensher from X-Men. There's the Joker. There's a bunch of Harry Potter ones, like Fox the Phoenix and Molly Weasley. But she's got ones for most of the, you know, the primary Avengers. And she just updated her shop the other day. So hopefully by the time you hear this, you'll be able to find a few in there. I have ordered her mini skein set, her Avengers mini skein set. She ordered, she has a few different mini skein sets, but there's one specifically for the Avengers. Mm-hmm. So I have ordered that one. Do you know what you're going to do with it? Or are you just going to look at them and have them be pretty? I'm probably going to do like little hop hexapuffs for my beekeeper's quilt yeah and the mini skein set there's only one left at the moment but she'll probably add another one others later so it's, it's seven mini skeins that are a little over 30 yards each and they come in the iron man hawkeye captain america thor hulk smash black widow and loki colorways and they do look really nice. Yeah, they're super pretty. And Inya can't wait to get them. And then the other person who has done Avengers yarn is Sheepy Time Knits. So it's www.sheepytimeknits.com. S H E E P Y T I M E K N I T S dot com. And she's got a whole bunch of Avengers yarns. Apparently, they sold out really fast when she posted them, but she's going to be doing more. And she's not only made colorways for specific characters, she's also geared the type of yarn that she's putting them on towards specific characters. So, like, Captain America is on a sparkly yarn. Yeah. Or she said a spangly. For that spangly outfit. So it's um, it's actually wool, silk, nylon, and sterling silver blend. Ooh. Thor is on her big feet blend, which is like a, a DK weight. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's a big guy. And, of course, Black Widow is on lace. I was going to ask. And, of course, Hulk is on her fat, sheep, bulky weight merino yarn. Love it. So, like I said, you can buy f- complete sets. I believe her, she said the complete sets, people are a-, a limited number of people are able to pre-order and those will all be dyed custom and then when they're in stock you're also able to buy each of them separately like i said at the moment she pretty much she said she pretty much sold out within like a few hours (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised so she says updates will be at random intervals as i can get to them and i'll post them on twitter her twitter name is at sheepy time knits which also posts to the facebook page so if you want to watch there you can see when you can get each of the individual ones or like she said you can take they're still taking orders for complete sets on pre-order and those are really pretty the black widow looks really gorgeous yeah i was thinking when about it's all, that when it's wondering re-stained. wondering how it would knit up yeah black and gray with these little shots of red through it and thor is this lovely sort of black red kettle dyed the iron man it looks like might even be like self-striping it should it says it should knit up to sturdy stripey socks so i don't know if that means self-striping or if it's just the way it'll spiral but yeah so there's some avengers yarns for those of us that saw the movie and then wanted to knit things i've been so tempted to do some dyeing of avengersy colors myself but i need to get more base yarn if i want to do that for some knitting craving covets and crushes i have found the tribute series this is 
a collection of patterns inspired by the Hunger Games trilogy, and all of the patterns are inspired either by the characters' personalities, their names, or details that are in the books. This is done by Yavanna Reynolds, and she currently has up Gale socks, Pita socks, and Effie socks. She is working on Mockingjay, Roses for Snow, Primrose, Katniss, and has plans for Cinna, Rue, and Haymitch as well. The majority of these are the names of characters with a couple of concepts thrown in. So you can knit these while drinking some of your Hunger Games tea from Adagio. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I like, for example, I'm going to look at Pita's socks. My inspiration Ooh. for the sock was wheat growing in a field. Pita is golden-haired, the son of a baker, and the boy with the bread. That's sort of like his tag name, mm -hmm. tag name in, in the books. He saves Katniss and her family by tossing some burnt bread to her when they were starving after the death of her father. Wheat also grows strong and straight and true, much like Pita, who remains ever faithful. This sock was designed to be knit in two colors and fingering weight yarn, but also looks lovely in sport and light fingering in one or two colors. So if you want to, these are available on Ravelry, and look for the Tribute series by Yavana Reynolds. That's Re Y-A-V... A-N-N-A-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S. So I hope you enjoy those. And that's it for this week. So everybody, we hope that you have a great weekend. Yep. Stay safe, send us pictures, and we will see you next week. Be sure to bring your handkerchiefs. Yes, because you are not prepared! We all know what's coming. <laughs> so we might as well, like, bring cookies, bring handkerchiefs. Yes, and chocolate. Teddy, teddy bears. Tea. The whole thing. Where's my Reichenbach recovery tea? And we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye! Thanks for listening. To visit our show notes, listen to old episodes, or leave something in our tip jar, you can visit us at knit1geek2.mtpockets.org. That's K-N-I-T-1 G-E-E-K 2 dot M-T dash P-O-C-K-E-T-S dot O-R-G. You can also comment at our Ravelry group. Just search the Ravelry groups for Knit One Geek 2. We're also on Twitter. You can find us at www.twitter.com slash knit one geek 2. Have a good week, everybody.